0: If you brought your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you turn to John's Gospel, John chapter 13. And after you get there, stick your finger there and turn with me to Luke 22. Context is always key to fully grasping what is going on in the Gospels. And for those of you who were here last week, uh, you'll remember that we saw Jesus was teaching his disciples through rhetorical questions hedged into prayers. So that the disciples might better understand what was about to happen to him in his death. So Jesus is using this as a teaching moment to get his disciples ready. And last week I urged the connection between kingdom and cross. Exaltation and humiliation. Right? And so with this in context, we should make sure that we keep this in mind as we move through this next text. Be thinking about that. The kingdom is seen most clearly through the lens of the cross. Additionally, I'd like to remind you that these are the last moments of Jesus uh, before his death. Not the last weeks, not the last days. This is about to be Jesus' death in the text. And what we're about to read was only moments away from what we looked at last week. So for those of you who were here, this is just a moment's difference in time. I know we have a week of time uh, in between now uh, and last week. But just think about this carrying over right from where we were last week. And in these last moments between the Lord's Supper... That's Jesus instituting his Lord's Supper, his teaching that we looked at last week about kingdom and cross. And this narrative that we look at this or that we're going to look at this week, we're going to find in Luke's gospel a discussion that will fill in the gaps on why Jesus decided to say and do what he did. And this is why I said context is important. We need to uh, get all the gospel accounts together in this moment to really figure out and get a full grasp of what Jesus is saying. So if you also had your Bibles and you turn to Luke 22, I'm going to read that passage in Luke 22, 24 through 30, which takes place uh, chronologically right before where, uh, the passage we're about to look at in John. So Luke 22, 24 through, uh, says this. A dispute also arose among them, this is the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. We're going to look at that more later. The leader as one who serves for who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigns to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table. Remember, he just instituted the Lord's Supper that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay, so now let's read our text for today and see how this naturally flows into this discussion in John 13, verses 1 through 20. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Then he poured into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered him, "What I'm doing or what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand." Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." Jesus answered him, "If I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet only, but wash my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in need, not just of knowledge, but of um, the unction and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to do the things that you've instructed us to do. So as we look to your word, Lord. We also have confused minds that are often clouded by sin. So we pray, Father, that you would reveal to us and help us to see by the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words what you are saying to us today. Your word is living and active. And we come to you this morning uh, with receptive hearts, ready for you to teach us, for us to sit at your feet and to learn from you. So we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I gave you that passage in Luke so that you might better understand how it fits together uh, with the passage in John. And I hope as I've read these two paired along uh, aside each other, it makes more sense, doesn't it? Why they would uh, flow into this discussion and why Jesus would do the things that he did. Jesus has been teaching his disciples about this upside-down kingdom that he's handing over to them. The least will be the greatest, right? That's what he's saying. The young shall lead the old. The leaders will be servants. It's upside down. It doesn't function like the world does, and so on. But this kingdom, he's giving to his disciples. He's handing it over to them. So it would be easy for them, pre-crucifixion, before they see what Jesus is all about, uh, it would be easy for them, pre-crucifixion, to feel a little bit puffed up about their status. Right? Imagine this. I know it's hard to imagine, but imagine that we aren't all Helplessly independent to the core Americans, and we have a king. Just imagine, I know it's hard for you, but just imagine that we have a king, and this king has chosen this room of people right here to be a people to carry out his plan to take over the world. Okay? Just imagine that with me. We've been chosen, we're the people, and we're gonna follow out in our king's plans to take over the world. It probably wouldn't be long before one of you got ahead of themselves and asked the same question well who's the greatest though who's going to who, lead us of the group though okay right who among us okay, I know we're going to take over the world I know we're going to do this uh, uh, king but who in the room is the, the first though okay who's going to lead us in this church right so Jesus being the imaginative teacher that he is decided to do a bit of an object lesson because that's basically what these disciples did and what does he do He washes their feet. It's bizarre, isn't it? And we'll come back to the discussion that arose when Jesus started to wash Peter's feet. But first, let's cut straight to the chase in verse 12. Look with me at verse 12. It says this. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? And that's what I'm going to ask you this morning, church. Do you understand what Jesus did to his Disciples, leaders, but especially teachers, I want you to take note of how Jesus continually checks in on his pupils to ensure that they are understanding what he's teaching them. One of my favorite pastors often says as he's preaching, are you tracking with me? This is something of what Jesus is doing. Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm doing in this teaching method that I'm bringing to you? You call me teacher and Lord, right? And rightly so. It's a good thing that you're calling me teacher, Jesus says. But did you see what I did there? Did you really see? Did you get the point of the foot washing? I am an authority over you. I'm your king. I'm your ruler. But I don't act like the kings that you know. I don't act like the rulers of the world, forcing my way onto you, getting what I want through manipulation. I lead you through service, through service to you. I'm washing your feet. The things that the servants should be doing, your leader is doing. Do you get the point? Do you see what I'm doing here? And he was intent on them getting this because he'd just given them charge over his kingdom, right? He said, you're the ones that are actually going to rule in the kingdom. You're the one that are going to reign. You're going to reign with me. He said in Luke, 13, or in Luke 22, 13, I assign to you as my Father assigned to me. Think of the weight of that. I'm assigning to you as God the Father assigned to me, to Jesus, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a lot. That's a lot. In other words, you're going to be my representatives on earth in my kingdom judging Israel and the world. The saints are going to be the ones that judge the world. We're going to judge all things. Look what I just did is what Jesus is saying. And remember that and how you do this in my kingdom. This is the kind of servant leadership that we're going to march forward with in our takeover plan of the world. This is what he's telling the 12 disciples. It's a lot. Now, servant leadership isn't that hard to understand. It really isn't if you think about it. You, you serve people. You, you take care of them. That isn't hard to understand. But what is difficult to understand, or uh, maybe I should say what is difficult to practice is doing it. Actually doing servant leadership is very hard. Jesus says in verse 17, look at this. In verse 17, he says, if you know these things, underline the word know, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay? So Jesus distinguishes knowing from doing in his teaching. These are two separate things. Take note of that. Knowing servant leadership is easy. Doing servant leadership is not. That is a difficult task. So we need to somehow move beyond this cerebral faith, this just heady faith, to an embodied faith of where our faith comes at our fingertips. We're actually living out the servant leadership that Jesus calls to in order to walk in God's blessing because that's what Jesus says, that you're only going to be blessed if you're actually doing the things that I call you to do. And this is why Jesus used this example of washing feet. He really wanted them to get the point. It's a bizarre example. It's, it's outlandish, but bizarre examples stick when it comes to me- teaching methods. Some of the teachers in this room know this. If you want people to remember something, you don't use an example that's very ordinary, do you? You do something that is extraordinary. It, it doesn't even make sense. It blows the people's minds, and by doing that, it burns it into their brains so that they can't get away from it. It keeps coming on back to them so i'm sure this is the image that the disciples had jesus the king of the world washing their feet that's a hard image to get out of your mind okay but the pressing question is how do we do this how do we actually do it? he said blessed are you not just to know these things but do them it, it's a command given in verse 14 so if you're looking for an action item to take away from this sermon verse 14 has it if i then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. There's the command given. okay? So there's two extremes that we need to avoid here. I wanna just give some dangers before I give some practical methods. The two extremes are this, an under when it comes to foot washing and an overemphasis. The two extremes, To the subject of foot washing. On the one hand, there are those who come eerily close to our own camp. Let's just be honest. These people would just like to think that foot washing is about the the most awkward thing you can do, so we're just not gonna do it. We're gonna spiritualize it. We're gonna think that's weird. We're gonna move away from that. It's just a small little bit of scripture, it only mentions it once, so we're just gonna jump over it. We don't want to confront that. This camp tries to ignore as much as possible this scripture because they can't imagine washing one another's feet. It's just weird. Okay, I get it because I'm there. This is my camp that I often fall into. This is my own problem, probably many of yours. But this camp underemphasizes the foot washing teaching. They don't take it seriously enough. Okay? On the other hand, there are people who overemphasize this teaching into a literal sacrament of the church. They believe that there are three sacraments, and I'm not kidding about this. The Church of God, you can look it up on their website baptism, the Lord's Supper, and foot washing. Right? So, so they take it to the other extreme. They believe it's a sacrament of the church. But neither of these views are historic or mature in their actual practice, the things that they're doing. okay. If we underemphasize this passage, we remain in the cerebral camp that never puts it into action. Okay? We just kind of scoot on by. We don't want to confront the realities of it. We know these things, but we don't do them. Okay, We don't do that. On the other hand, an overemphasis of this passage sees an inherent blessing in literally enacting the practice as a means of grace. If we just do the thing, then we'll be blessed. right? But the problem is neither of these views actually impacts the kingdom of God, the very thing that Jesus is assigning to his kingdom. They're not doing anything in their leadership. They're not actually impacting the world that Jesus is calling them to go live into. So the cerebral view knows the meaning of the foot washing is servant leadership, right? We know this. We have it in our minds. But this does not lead us then into an act of service, unfortunately. Just because you know something doesn't mean you actually do it, right? When we do this, we lead by an intellectual prestige saying, I know this, but this is just offensive and insulting to the kingdom of God. When they see people that say, oh, I know about foot washing, but they don't actually do anything about it, it's insulting. People find it offensive. I might say I'm least in the kingdom, but everyone knows when you're not actually doing anything about it, people know that you actually think you're the greatest. right? It's pride. right? This is where my camp personally, I think most of you would probably lean more on this side. But an overly literal view isn't any better. If we think that all we need to do to lead in the kingdom of God is literally literally wash one another's feet, we fail to see it for what it is, which is an example. It's not an instituted sacrament. It's an example. If you look at the text in verse 15, Jesus says this is an example. It's a teaching method. It's a model given to us to, to teach us something, much like the Lord's Prayer. Right? We pray this every week in the liturgy, not because it's the only way to pray, But by doing it, it subconsciously teaches us how to pray as a rubric for everyday prayer, right? It teaches us how we ordinarily pray every day. This is why, if you look closely at the greater tradition of the church, look back in church history, we actually do find a literal enactment of foot washing on Monday, Thursday, the week leading up to Easter, in the liturgical calendar, okay? But, but, this is simply done to teach us Okay, it's simply to teach us how to lead through servanthood, not be automatically blessed by foot washing, right? It's not the blessing that you get where you do the thing and you just automatically you get blessed, okay? So what is a middle way view look like? How do you keep from falling into either of these camps? How does village church not just know these things, but do them that we might be blessed? In other words, how does village church wash feet? How do we do this practically, okay? Well, there's two angles that I want to look at first. There's an inward angle and an outward angle. Okay? The inward angle, the inward perspective, uh, uh, we see that, and we recognize that this foot washing was symbolic of another washing. It's deeper than just the thing, okay? Jesus says in verse 8 through 10, if we do not wash, yeah, sorry, he's referring to us. It says, if you do not wash, but I'm saying, if we do not wash, we have no share with him. Okay? If we aren't washed, we have no share with Jesus. So Peter, in this conversation, he overreacts, as usual, and, and says, Jesus, I don't just need my feet washed. I want my hands and my head also. As if to say, don't just wash my feet for going out into the world, but wash my hands for practicing this and my mind for knowing it. I want all of me washed. I, I want to be completely washed. But Jesus says, Peter, that's not necessary. Okay? Because you have already been washed. So this must refer to the washing of regeneration. Right? We've talked about this before, being born again, where our sins are forgiving, uh, forgiven and we are counted as righteous through faith in Jesus. Now, if you're like me, when you're reading through a passage like this and it starts talking about water and washing and things like that. You start to think about the motifs of Scripture, some of the symbolism. You think baptism, right? This is what I, I thought uh, naturally. But if it was referring to baptism, then Judas would have been uh, considered washed and chosen. But Jesus makes a point to exclude him in verse 10 and 11. Judas isn't numbered among these people who are washed. So what this uh, tells us is Jesus is teaching about the inward practice of being washed more than the outward foot washing was the example but it's not the outward point that is the teaching okay you see the difference Where we we're able to see what's going on in Jesus' teaching but it's not the foot washing itself that's the point it's the inward part that we should be that should be known and put into practice okay so an inward an inward perspective sees that foot washing is not the bathing of regeneration it's it's not the moment it's a routine cleansing that takes place Regularly, It's ongoing. And this is why the church has traditionally kept the weekly confession of sin as an integral part of the liturgy. We keep on realizing that we need cleansed, right? Most of us in here have placed our faith in Christ. We've been baptized, and there's no reason to be rebaptized every time we come in here to signify our share in the kingdom. We're already washed. We come in here as confessing as uh, we're clean people. We've been washed. But we do still need cleansed every single week. That's why we do the confession of sin. Though we've been forgiven ultimately through our faith in Jesus, we still need to clear the air with God continually in our relationship with him. That's why there's uh, those texts in scripture that say things like, if we don't confess and repent, that our prayers will be hindered, right? We must have an ongoing reconciliation with God where we're confessing continually, even though we know ultimately we are saved. Okay? We walk in here tracking all kinds of sin uh, through the aisle, but through weekly confession of sin, God washes our feet and he sends us back out into the world as clean. That's what we do when we come in here. We are washed. We are clean. So this is the inward perspective. God leads us through servanthood. He cleans us up. He cleanses us of sin by taking the form of a servant and being obedient even unto death on the cross in our stead. Okay, That's where we place our faith and that's how we're cleansed and that's how we're sent out into the world. Okay, But he also tells you, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Okay, So here's where the outward comes in. If I've, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, This is what he was talking about. It's not just for you. It's also for them. We walk in here to be washed, but when we walk out, we leave with clean feet and a mission. We are called to wash the people's feet. That's what he tells us. Wash one another's feet. So what does it look like for Village Church to Assume a role of servant leadership towards our community. What does that look like practically? In other words, how can village church be the hands of Christ that wash the feet of our people? Right? Okay, if you're note takers, here's a pattern that uh, I kind of hold in my, my own personal vision. So if you're taking notes, there's three things of how we wash people's feet, and this is really my model when it comes to leading people. How do we wash one another's feet? How do we do this? It's love. It's ownership and it's responsibility. Let me unpack those three things. First, love. First, we must start with love as Jesus does. Look with me at verse 1. Verse 1 in chapter 13 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end love is where we start because love as the scriptures tell us covers a multitude of sins love covers a multitude of sins we do this by counting ourselves as servants to one another bearing one another's burdens and that even includes sins we bear one another's burdens when your brother or sister confides in you a struggle with sin something that they are really struggling with we don't lord it over them by holding that knowledge over their head to control them. This happens. It's, it's disgusting and I've seen it happen where someone uh, comes and brings a sin to someone says I'm struggling with uh, uh, struggling with this and that person manipulates them moving forward in their lives. I know this about you. So act the way I want you to act. They might not even say it but there's this implicit knowledge that this is the way I'm gonna lead you for the rest of your life. I'm gonna hold this over your head and I'm actually gonna rule you and lead you because you've just confided in me something. Church, this is the opposite of how the church should lead the world. We do not do that at all. What we do is we strip down our outer garment of pride, just like Jesus, and remember that we lead others out of sin by servanthood, just like Jesus did. We ask, how can I be praying for you specifically? And in this way, there's a real sense in which we cleanse our community through love, because love covers a multitude of sins. It's impactful. Love is powerful in the way that we lead. Okay, So there's the first thing, love. Second, ownership. We begin with that loving posture right, and acknowledge that those around us are our own in the world. Did you catch that in verse 1 as we were reading? Jesus is loving these people, but he's not just loving some general people. He's loving his own who are in the world, and that's what we are called to do, love our own. We look at our community with compassion, not aggravation. Right? It's easy to look at the people and say, oh, I'm so aggravated. Small town, uh, Illinois, rural Illinois does this, does that. No, we look at our people with compassion, not aggravation, and say, these are my people. This is I'm part of them. You take ownership of your community. Simply put, you love your neighbors. You count yourself as part of the community. You place yourself in there and you say, I'm committed to you in love. Okay? The third thing, responsibility. Once we've openly acknowledged our love for the community, we assume a place of responsibility for its shortcomings. We just do it, we go and love people. Rather than disdain the gossip of the town, which is really easy to do, right? Rather than disdain the gossip of the town, we read these gossip conversations like check engine lights, right? We, we look at them and we see there's a problem, we need to get to work, right? We diagnose the problems. We look at them and we don't ignore them. I know that that is a tendency that a lot of us have to do. The service engine soon comes on and we just keep on driving. But when we do this in our community, what we're doing is ignoring a real problem. It's easy to stare at a problem, but the reality is the longer we stare, the worse our problem becomes. You mechanics in here know that the longer you stare at that chuck engine light, the worse the problem is going to get. You need to address the problem. So when we love our people, we take responsibility, we love our people, it burdens us. We take the burden onto ourselves and we address their needs. And when we address their needs and take responsibility for them, we in turn assume a servant leadership position that Jesus is talking about here. This is what Jesus practically means, how we are supposed to live in the kingdom with the servant leadership. He's saying, do it like I do it, which is washing your feet. I take initiative. I'm taking ownership of you. I'm loving my own, and I'm taking responsibility for you. You are my people. Okay. Before we get too far, though, we should not get ahead of ourselves and look around and ask, who are my people? Who is this particularly? For Jesus, it was the 12 that he was having dinner with. He was sitting down, very close. He was intimate with them. For you, it's the people that you communed with last week at this table, for those of you who are here. It's the people that you're sitting next to. It's also the people that you're going to sit with in a couple minutes uh, for lunch or tonight for dinner. It's these people. It's, it's these people, whether they're here or not, that should be the priority before we can think we are qualified to step outward. Okay? You love your own First. And I don't say this to, to dampen our outreach, but to simply increase our awareness that there are many feet that need washed, and you don't have to go very far before you realize that they're connected to the people that you love most. They're right next to you. They're people that need their feet washed. So you call them your people. You say, you are mine. We're family. We're, we're a church family. We're going to love each other, right? So perhaps before we address the community gossip, which I think we should, I think we do need to be an outward missional church, but before we do, we address the dirty feet of things in our own camp, like marital backbiting, first. Okay, just to get close to home, we gotta we gotta get uh, tightened up on these kind of things before we can move outwards. And we don't do this by telling your spouse that her feet are dirty, but simply wash them, right? Simply wash them by love. Or rather than telling your husband that his attitude stinks as bad as his feet or worse, you just Love him well by covering a multitude of sins in service to him. Love him well. Care for him. He's your husband. He, she's your wife. Right? They're your kids. Change the dirty diaper. That's nastier than washing feet. But you have to do that to lead them. But, but there's a real element to that, isn't there? It's humiliating to sit there and change a dirty diaper. But that is actually how you lead these people. And that's, in, in a real sense, the way that God leads us. He leads us in this kind of servant leadership where he gets in the mess with us and he leads us out of it by washing us and cleansing us. Okay? So that's the example and the message to you. Jesus inwardly washed your feet so you can outwardly wash one another's feet. This is the way that the kingdom advances, right? So finally, as we close, I want to draw your attention to verse 20. Look with me at the end here at verse 20. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives. me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Okay? What Jesus is doing here is reiterating how he intends the kingdom to grow. When people receive your foot washing and formed love, when they submit themselves to your servant leadership, when you're actually trying to lead these people and they're receptive to it, Jesus says they're receiving him. Think about the implications of that. As you love your community well, and they are receptive to that, they're in a real way accepting and welcoming in Jesus into their community. In other words, when Jesus said in Luke 22 that he was assigning his disciples a kingdom, he was serious. He was serious about how he's sending them marching orders to go into their community. This is how the kingdom of God grows and expands. But here's another danger. If we assume the kingdom of God is only future, and it only occurs after Jesus fixes all the problems. He does all the work. The kingdom of God is future. We completely abdicate any authority that we otherwise would have been able to grab hold of. We give it all away. When we say the kingdom is future, Jesus will take care of it. What you're doing is laying down your authority and saying, I have no authority to do or say anything towards my community. Okay? Jesus also said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. We're supposed to be discipling the nations. Do you guys realize that? Disciple the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them with an informed practice like Jesus gives us, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Church, do you realize we are the sent ones that he's referring to in verse 20? That when we're received by the world, when we're sent by Jesus, and the world receives us, they're receiving Christ. We are the ones assigned to wash the world. He's giving that task to us. And when the church leads through uh, leads the world through servanthood instead of the world leading the church, that's what happens a lot, isn't it? When we lead the world instead of so the world leading us, that is when we actually start to see the blessing that Jesus is talking about. So you want to see blessing in your church, you want to see blessing in your community, you want to see blessing in your family, you want to see blessing in your nation? What you have to do is actually start not just thinking about these things, knowing these things, but doing them. Going out and actually putting it in practice for his glory and our joy. This is how the kingdom advances, church, by washing feet. Amen? That's